All right, well, good morning. If you could take your Bibles, please, and open them up to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 4. Let me pray as we get into God's Word together. Lord, we are so thankful that we have your Word in front of us. And Lord, we pray that you will speak. Speak into our hearts. Speak into our lives. May we see you this morning, our God, our great King, the King in our lives. Pray that you will bless us through your Word. Help us in the hearing of your Word. Help us to live for you. And you alone, we pray, in your precious and most wonderful name, amen. Before we get to uh, Proverbs 27, which we are going to get to, I want to start in a different place. In Exodus, I think it was 31, I should have remembered that in my head, I think it's 31. Anyway, in Exodus 31, let's say, the Lord gave his people an instruction. And the instruction was this, that they would build his tabernacle, which was basically his place of worship, the place that he would dwell. But in order to build his tabernacle, the place where he would dwell, the place where he would live, the Lord had to get people who were skilled craftsmen. And so it says that the Lord gave these, these two men, it says he gave them the ability to make this tabernacle. He gave them the ability, he gave them the skill to make this tabernacle. And that word for ability, that word for skill is the Hebrew word chokmah. And what chokmah is, is the word wisdom. And so what God did was he said, I'm going to give you all the materials for the tabernacle and then I am going to give you the wisdom that you need to build it. And so I don't know if you've ever built anything recently, but if you have, what ends up happening to you, if you, you have all these parts all strewn along the floor, the instructions, the tools you need, everything strewn along the floor. And what you need is chokmah in order to gather that up and build it together. What you need is skill to gather that up and build that together. You need wisdom in order to be able to do that. And so what wisdom is, what God's wisdom is, is it can take the chaos that's in our life and it can speak order back into the chaos so that we can order our lives back again in accordance with how God wants us to live. That's what wisdom is. When we have chaos in our lives, in certain situations in our lives, we need the book of Proverbs, we need God's wisdom to speak order back into that chaos. And do you know what causes some of the most chaos in our lives? What causes the most chaos in our lives, I think, is one word, one feeling, and it is anger. Today we're going to talk about anger. I'm going to start by putting my hand up first, okay? Here's my hand up. You can all see it. Now I'm going to ask a question. Anybody in this room ever get angry? Children, I'm talking to you too. Sermons for you. Anybody in this room ever get angry? Okay, now look around. Let's keep the hands up. I know you're Baptists. It's okay. You can put your hands up sometimes. Look around you. I think that's everybody. 
I think that's everybody. All of us, from the youngest to the oldest, and probably even this morning, all of us struggle with anger. And it brings chaos into our lives. And what God does is He, he, he uses His Word to speak wisdom into that anger. And the first thing I think you need to remember about anger is this according to the verse, Proverbs 27 verse 4, is that our anger is overwhelming. Look at Proverbs chapter 27 verse 4. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Now, I want to get to the meaning of the verse, but what I want you to notice for just a second is how it describes our anger. It says very overtly that anger is overwhelming. Anger is hard to control. Anger will overwhelm you when you get angry, and anger will overwhelm the people around you. It is overwhelming. And as I looked at this verse... Picture came into my mind as it usually does. And it was of my friend when we were in secondary school. I was there the day he made one of the biggest mistakes in his life. I was walking down the corridor. I walked into the bathroom and he was there with another friend and they were trying to light something on fire together in the toilet in our secondary school. So thankfully, thankfully, I said to them, listen, something along the lines of, I can't remember what it was, but something along the lines of, you should stop and you shouldn't do that. And I walked out, thankfully. Usually I wasn't smart enough to walk away from those situations. I walked out. About 10 minutes later, when I was walking down the corridor, do you know what I saw? Black smoke billowing out of the toilets. It was almost uncontrollable. So the fire guys come in, they control the fire, they put it out. When we get angry, do you know what happens? Black smoke billows from our lives. It is like this fire that's uncontrollable. And it affects you and everybody around you. Your anger and my anger, it is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And that's what this passage tells us and warns us about, that if our anger goes unchecked, it will have devastating effects. You'll notice there's, there's three words for anger there, wrath, anger itself, and jealousy. These are all part of kind of the same word group, wrath, anger, and jealousy, all kind of summed up together in this word anger. So you have wrath, which is kind of like hot rage. You know that description, like hot rage? Have you ever got so angry or kind of hot or seen someone angry and it's kind of their face goes red, they're, they're, they're hot. It's, it's hot anger, uncontrollable rage. And then anger, of course, it's this, it's this reality of, of severe displeasure against someone else or something else. And then you have jealousy. Jealousy, that too, is a form of anger. And what is being said here is wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand against jealousy? And the anger, the answer is no one. Jealousy is one of the most severe forms of anger. 
And there's two kind of types of jealousy that we have in our lives. We have jealousy over what we have and jealousy over what we don't have. Sometimes we we see what someone else has and we have jealousy over what they have. So on social media, you see all their pictures, you see all their traveling, you see their home, you see their family, and you become jealous over what somebody else has. What does that jealousy lead to? A feeling of anger, displeasure. That is a form of jealousy. We also call it envy. So that form of jealousy over what other people have, but also we can have jealousy over what we ourselves have. So sometimes this will happen to our children, some of the children in the room. You will have a toy and you will not want to give that toy to people. You will not want to share that toy with people. You are jealous over what you do have. And sometimes that can happen with adults as well. We have a friend or a friendship and we say, this friend is mine. I don't want to share this friend with anyone. I want to have this deep friendship with my friend and I don't want to share that with anybody else. And then they become friends with someone else. And you become jealous. You become jealous over what you don't have and jealous over what you do have. And if that jealousy and anger goes unchecked, it will overwhelm your life. You will notice that black smoke will start billowing from your life and it will have severe effects on your life. And anger and jealousy and rage, it is overwhelming in our relationships and in the family. In fact, there is marriage advice that is given to um, men in Proverbs. And it's, it's there. It's a verse that is there. It says this in Proverbs 21 verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Here's the advice. Instead of marrying her, Go and live in the desert. Instead of living with her, it's better for you to live in the desert. Obviously, the same can be said of men. (laughs) Some some of the women probably want to live in the desert. I'll, I'll go out. I'll take the desert any day long. Better than being with him for a while. This reality is the reason why that's so severe in this proverb is that anger when it's in the household, anger when it's in our relationships, it's overwhelming. It's very difficult to deal with. And so if it is overwhelming, what do we need to do? We need to fight our anger. We need to fight the fire of our anger. We need not and must not let anger go unchecked in our lives. Here's what it says in Proverbs 19.19. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty... For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. What that means is the realities are if a man or a woman or anybody, that's just general, if they get angry, there should be a consequence to that. There should be something to that because if you deliver them, if you let them go from that anger, guess what's going to happen? It's just going to come up again and again and again. If you make excuses for that person in their anger and keep delivering them over again and again, what's going to happen? It's going to keep coming back up again and again and again. 
And what happens in our anger is we tend to make excuses for our own anger and we make excuses for other people's anger. We say stuff like this. That's just their personality. That's just who they are. And so what we do then in in that respect is we deliver the person from their anger again and again. Or we say something like this. That's just their culture. That's just part of who they are. That's how they were raised. That's just their nationality. They're just hot-blooded. So we'll just leave them. Here's what we'll do. We'll brush the anger under the carpet. We won't deliver it. We won't deal with it. We won't do anything about it. And what you end up doing is delivering the person. And if you deliver the person from that anger... The verse says, you will only have them do it again. You will only have it happen again. If you make excuses for anger in our lives, it will only happen again and again and again. We must be careful with our anger. We must deal with anger when we see it. We must not brush our anger under the carpet. Now, some of us may say, well, there's not actually that much anger in my house. And and you only see anger as being like what I call like an overt anger, kind of like a shouting anger. I think there's two types of anger from the the readings that I've done on this in, in my life over the years. There's two forms of anger. It's what I would call overt anger and covert anger. Overt anger is the anger that we all can see. It's, it's shouting, it's, it's, it's fighting, it's screaming. That's overt anger. That's easy to see. Anybody can see that. But then there's another type of anger. It's covert anger. The type of anger that is involving stuff like jealousy, envy, the silent treatment. Man, you can be silent and very angry all at the same time. Anger doesn't just have to manifest itself in shouting and screaming. Oh, you can be very silent and very angry at the same time. And we must not, in our lives, brush this type of anger under the carpet. We have to deal with it. If you see this type of anger, either overt anger or covert anger in your life, do not let it go. Do not let it go. Deal with it. Don't deliver yourself from it or it will happen again and again to you. And so what I would say to you this morning is if you realize that anger in your life is overwhelming and I'm not really fighting the fight against anger in my life, I would call on you this morning. I would call on you this morning to repent of your sin. Come to Jesus. Come at this time of the Lord's table. This is a time where we can check ourselves. And come back and ask the Lord for forgiveness for all of our anger. And what I'd say to you as well, for anger in the household or in relationships, don't just let it go. Don't keep delivering the person away from that anger. Go and talk to them. Tell them that this anger in your household or in your relationship, it is overwhelming the house. We need to deal with that. I'd encourage you, don't just let anger be brushed under the carpet. We need to fight the anger in our lives. And how do we fight with anger? Well, in this case, you fight fire with fire. Get angry at your anger. That is a way to be righteously angry. 
Get righteously angry at the anger in your life. Deal with it. Tackle it. Don't just say, that's my personality. Don't just blame him or her. Don't just say, that's my culture. That's the way I live. Don't just do that. We are in a fight and a battle with our sin every single day. And the beginning of that fight is this, repentance. Don't leave our anger go unchecked. We must battle it with repentance. So anger is overwhelming. We must fight our anger. And we must not encourage anger. We must discourage anger. Look at what it says in Proverbs 29 verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. Notice the same phrase in, in Proverbs fifteen eighteen: A hot-tempered man does what? Stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. We need to discourage anger, not stir up anger. Ever heard of the phrase, oh, you're stirring the pot? Sometimes what happens is we stir up anger in our house, in our relationships, rather than stopping it and quieting it. It's happened to us, hasn't it, where someone's come to you? They've walked up to you and they've said, that person is really annoying. The situation is really hard. I'm really frustrated. I'm really angry. Now at that point, you have a choice. Do I fan the flame of that anger? Do I blow on it? Do I keep blowing on it and encourage that anger? Or do I seek to stop it and quiet it and calm it down? As Christians, that's our job. Not to stoke the flame, not to fan the flame of anger when someone comes to us angry. No, we need to seek to stop it. So that when people do come to us and complain and get angry, we don't continue that. We stop it. And I want to talk particularly to the men. I think men in our household. It is our job, it is our job to lead in this way. It is our job not to stir up the anger in our home. It is our job to fight the anger in our home and to battle against it and to quieten it down. That's our role. It calls on men and the Scriptures, husbands particularly, Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Lay yourself down for her. That is our leadership role. And unfortunately, what men do in that leadership role is they take on the leadership role in a domineering way. I'm going to master this house. I'm going to be the king of this house. I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign in this house. This is my domain. That should not be the way of our leadership, men. It is humble. It is quiet, it is diligent, it is loving, it is caring, and we are going to take the lead. We must take the lead. We must be leaders of reconciliation, of forgiveness in our home. Listen to me, I have never been in a fight where I have not contributed. Even if someone else has started it, 
I have never been in a fight where I have not contributed something to that fight. What does that mean? There is always something I can ask for forgiveness for. So if you are involved, men, in anger in your home, in that kind of situation in your home, who should step up and begin the reconciliation process? I think it should be you. I think you should lead that in your home. That you should be the first one to say, I was wrong on this. I am sorry. I should not have shouted. I should not have said what I said. I should not have did, done what I did. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? We need to step up and say those words. Will you forgive me? And don't add a but onto it. Will you forgive me? But if you didn't do that, I wouldn't be asking this. Don't add a but onto that. Just ask, will you forgive me? And what might happen? Do you know what? Sometimes you might ask for forgiveness. You might come to the person and say, will you forgive me? They're not, they might necessarily say, oh, I'm so delighted. Oh, absolutely. I'll absolutely forgive you. No problem. They mightn't. They might be still angry and mad and frustrated. But it is your job to lead forgiveness in your home. Let's say it to the parents. Parents, we always make our children say sorry, don't we? Don't we? We always make our children ask for forgiveness, don't we? You say sorry, you should say sorry to that person. Parents, when was the last time you said sorry to your children? When was the last time you asked your children to forgive you for the anger that you gave to them? We need to lead in that way, parents. Come and ask for forgiveness. It is a humbling thing to get down on your knee and look at your child in the eye and say, I am sorry. Daddy was foolish there. Will you forgive me? But one of the most beautiful things you will see, (laughs) one of the most beautiful things you will see is when your child says, yes, Daddy, I'll forgive you. Big, massive hug. To step up and lead that as husbands, as leaders in our family, as parents, as leaders of our children. Step up. And as Christians, in our workplace, people should see us as Christians in our workplace. People should see us as people who will pursue reconciliation and forgiveness even when others have done wrong to us. We should be the ones who lead that process. I'll never forget, I think I told the example before, but I'll never forget, I was playing uh, soccer with my friends and, you know, they, they knew I was a Christian and so what they used to start doing is, is, is pick at me, you know, try and get me angry. That was what it was. That was what the goal was because I came, became a Christian later on in life and so they would tackle me hard, tackle me hard, tackle me hard, tackle me hard. It was a game to try and get him frustrated, try and get him frustrated. There was one guy who tackled me I said, you do that again. You do that again. That's what happens. He did it again. I grabbed him, threw him over my shoulder, put him on the floor and put my knee into his face. And I knew. I said, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. You fool. You're going to keep, you're going to get it now. And as I was praying, going up to the changing rooms, prayed and I felt like 
the Lord was communicating to me, I need to ask for forgiveness. So I walked into the change room. Everybody's laughing and mocking. I asked them to be quiet. I walked up to him and I said, will you forgive me? And there was absolute silence in the room. They were shocked. Absolutely shocked. We need to lead as Christians. Lead forgiveness. Why? Because we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven. We've been reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we not extend that to others? How can we expect others just to be serving us? Others to be... They need to say sorry. They need to ask forgiveness. No. We have been forgiven much. And we too should forgive. And one of the ways I think we battle our anger is in that verse, Proverbs 15, verse 18. Do you notice at the end of the verse it says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is what? Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Quiets contention. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Slow to anger. Man, I wish that was me. Often in my life, I find myself quick to anger. Not always to overt anger. Maybe to covert anger, secret anger. People don't know I'm angry. But I'm quick to it. Man, I pray, help me be slow to anger. I want to be slow to this. I don't want to be fast to this anymore. Lord, help me be slow. Why? Because this is the character of our God. Our God, He is not quick to anger. Our God, He is slow to anger. Many times in the Scriptures, it describes our God as this character. He is slow to anger. When the Lord met with Moses on the mountain, He met with Moses and He described Himself by saying this of Himself. He said to Moses, The Lord, the Lord, He is merciful and gracious. The Lord saying this of Himself. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is our God. He is slow to anger. David in the Psalms, when he is praising the Lord, in Psalm 103, verse 8, he says this, The Lord, the Lord, is compassionate and gracious. What is He? He is slow to anger and abounding in love. In Psalm 145, verse 8, he sings again, The Lord, the Lord, is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. In Psalm 86, verse 15, David says again, O Lord, you are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Joel, as he's preaching, the prophet, he's preaching to God's people and calling them to repentance. He says this, return to the Lord, repent and return to the Lord. Why? For he is gracious, he is compassionate, and he is slow to anger. And Jonah, Jonah the prophet, I love these verses in Jonah. He says to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? 
That is why I was so quick to run to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you would be gracious and compassionate, God. I knew you would be slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. See, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, to his enemies, and preach to them repentance because he knew the type of character God was. He knew that if I go and preach repentance and they repent, I know what you'll do, God. You'll be gracious and you'll be compassionate and you'll be slow to anger and you will forgive them because that's the type of God you are. He was angry at the Lord because of his compassion. This is our God. He is slow to anger. He is gracious and compassionate. And that fills me with hope this morning. Because when I have surveyed my life this week, and my anger this week, see, I need to preach it to myself before I preach it to you, right? Wrecks my head. I wish I didn't have to do that. (laughs) I wish I could just say it to you and not to myself, but I can't. Can't get away with it. So here I am this week, wrecking my head. If I had hair, I'd pull it out wrecking my head, saying, Lord, I'm quick to anger, foolish to anger. And then I read this. But he looks at me, and he is slow to anger toward me. And he shows grace and compassion toward me. And he showed it to me on the cross. When I deserved his rightful anger, his wrath, He forgave me and gave me compassion when I did not deserve it. So I would call on all of us here, the children, the adults, the single people, the husbands, the wives, come to the Lord this morning, the one who is gracious, the one who is kind, the one who is slow to anger. Repent of your anger this morning and you will find His wonderful and glorious forgiveness just for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I pray that we as your people would be imitators of God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Lord, when we get angry again, when we do, our sin is before us. I pray that we would be quick to deal with it, to come to you in repentance and embrace the forgiveness you have on offer for us. In your precious and wonderful name, we pray these things. Amen. We're going to stand and sing, His mercy is more together.